I just want to open with a question. I want to ask you, what's important to you? Simple question. What's important to you? Our lives will naturally orient around the things that are important to us. We, we prioritize our time, our energy, our resources towards things that, that we value, things that are important to us. And when you put a person's life under a microscope, it's pretty easy to, to see what it is that's important to them. It's easy to see what their life is oriented around, whether it's entertainment or success or family, social circles, whatever. It's easy to tell what a person values. And I want to ask, is the person of God important to you? Is your life oriented around, around Jesus? If I were to put your life under a microscope, how easy would it be to tell that your life is oriented around Jesus? You know, the, the things that we value, the things that are important to us, they, they actually shape who we become. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, Cassie literally just read it. I'm going to read it for you again. And it, it communicates this principle. It, it shows us this principle that when we value God, when we behold God, when we prioritize God, he shapes us to be just like him. And I think that principle is true through everything in life. Here's what, here's what 2 Corinthians three seventeen says. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we behold God, when, when Jesus is the most important thing to us, when our, our life is oriented around him, what happens is we're transformed into the same image. The thing is, though, like, if you're beholding a bunch of other stuff with your life, that's going to shape who you become. So what are you beholding with your life? What are you oriented around? What's, what's the thing that's most important to you? Really, another way of asking this question is, is what do you love? What do you love? You see, the Bible, uh, it's an awesome story. And it's, yes, it's a story about what happened, but more than that, it's a story about what always happens. It, it's not just informing us of stuff that went down 2,000 years ago. It's, it's showing us what God is like and what he will always be like, and it's showing us what we're like as, as humans. It's a story about what happened, but it's also a story about what, what will always happen. And Israel, God's chosen people all through the Old Testament, uh, they, they are an interesting case study that we can learn a lot from. And, and specifically in this area of what's important to you, they consistently miss this. They consistently prioritize and orient themselves around the wrong thing. They worship all these other gods that are not the one true living God. And, and today, what I want to explore, I want to dive into looking at God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament. And I want to I want to explore with you the most important command in all of Scripture. It's the supreme like, command that God gave his people, Israel, and it's, it's the same command that should orient our life today, 2,000 years later, more than that, like 3,700 years later, whatever. Uh, people are always wondering what their purpose is. I feel like I, I talk to people about that a lot. It's a question I like to ask people, what's your purpose? This Scripture, this command we're going to get into today, it shows us what our purpose is. Clear as day. The, the command I want to get into today, it's called the Shema. Maybe some of you have heard it, maybe not. Shema is just the Hebrew word for listen or hear. And the Shema, it's a, it's a verse in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6. 
Um, but it's, it's something that every single Jewish person would have recited multiple times a day, every single day. And it comes right after, a little, little context, it comes right after the Ten Commandments. So Moses, up on Mount Sinai, gets the Ten Commandments from God. He comes down, he shares them with the people, and then he gives them the, the Shema. So I'm going to read it, but I'm going to pray for us first. God, I pray that this morning you would just open our eyes and show us what we need to be oriented around. Show us what the most important thing in our life should be. I pray that you uh, would just come and that you'd speak to people. As I speak, I pray that you would be speaking individually to people's hearts. Um, and God, we just acknowledge that today is all about you. Our life is all about you. You're the king. So just come, be in this space, be honored, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So here it is, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Most important command in the whole Bible. Hear, O Israel. Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There it is. It's the most important thing. It's the, the point of everything. It's your purpose. It's, it's what all of this is about. It's, it's love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's it. You might, you might recognize that scripture. You might be like, I think I've heard that before. Is that in the New Testament? And, and yes, it is. Jesus actually, he quotes the Shema in the gospel. In Matthew 22, some, some religious people are trying to trick him and get, get, get him to say the wrong thing. And they're asking him all these hard questions because he's kind of like a rebel in their eyes. He's changing things, and they want to trap him. They want a reason to arrest him. And so one of the questions they ask him is, what's the greatest command? And they're expecting him probably to say something off the wall. And all he does is he quotes the Shema. He says, what's the greatest command? It's, it's this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says something, oh, and then it says, and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus is saying everything, all the law, all the prophets, the Old Testament, everything hangs on these two things. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the most important thing, and, and this is what I'm preaching on today. It's going to be a simple message. Love God. <laughs> There's my message. You can get up and go home. Just kidding. But that's it. That's all. I just want to, my, my goal with this morning is just to stir you towards a deep love and affection for the person of God. Because when it all comes down to it, what else matters? Really? Like, what, ma what matters other than that? the job you're going to graduate and go get and have for 20, 30 years. No, like that, that's temporary. The, the family that you're going to start and raise, and that's, you know, it's exciting, it's good. The spouse you're going to find, like all of that stuff, it's good, but it's temporary. There's, there is truly one, there's one thing that actually matters, and it's what's important to you. What are you oriented around? Is it a deep love for God? And if not, then you, you've made a mistake, actually. 
Because, like I said, everything else, it's temporary. So I, I just want, I, I long for, I pray for, I, I want our church to be a people that just loves him with all that we are. I want us to be a people that are faithful to the Shema. The, a people that, that love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. So that's what I'm going to get into today. But, but first, uh, I need to talk about how much God loves you. First John says that we love because he first loved us. So, yes, let's love God. But first, I want to talk about how much God loves you. He calls you, and I'm speaking to you as a, as a crowd, but also you individually, each of you individually. So hear this in an individual way. He values you as a person. He loves you. You actually have immeasurable value to the person of God, the one who made everything, the one who made the the earth that we're walking on and the galaxies and the stars that we see in the sky. Like, that God values you. And he actually calls you worthy of your love or of his love. Even if you've, you've been terrible to him, even if you've turned your back on him, even if you've made mistakes, he still looks at you and says, that person is worthy of my love. I love them deeply. And I, I want to make something clear. So maybe you've never heard this before, but God's highest priority is his own glory. While he loves you and he values you and you are extremely important to him, His highest priority is his own glory. I remember my brother asked me this question a few years back. He's like, John, what do you think God's highest priority is? And I was like, me? I I don't know. Me? Is it me? And he's like, no. (laughs) And he showed me a couple of scriptures, and it became clear to me, God's highest priority is himself. And that doesn't make him a narcissist, right? If, If it was any different, if his highest priority was anything other than himself, he'd be breaking his own first command, which Daniel's going to get into at Deeper Waters here in a couple weeks. Um... You know, the first command, don't have any other gods before me. God's highest priority is his own glory. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, it says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. This is God speaking. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. In this scripture, God is talking about, you know, his intervention with his people, but he's actually saying it's for my own sake that I'm I'm intervening. It's it's for my own sake that I'm I'm moving and I'm doing things. My glory I will not give to another. God's highest priority is his own glory. But with that being said, God still, he oriented his plans around you. That's crazy. He, He, not only that, but he actually sacrificed for you. Good people, this is kind of a pivot, but good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. I, I ask people this all the time on campus. I'll ask, like, what, what, it, what does it take to spend eternity with God in heaven? And the general answer is like, ah, oh, just be a good person. Be a good person. That'll, that'll get you there. It's not true. Good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. One, you can never actually be good enough. Neither can I. <laughs> and two... Every single one of us, just realistically, has failed. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not like God can just snap his fingers and be like, it's all good. I'll just forget your sin. Like, I'll act like it didn't happen. It's not that he, he won't do that. It's that he can't do that because he's just. He's a just God. It's who he is. 
And as much as he may want to, he, he will not change who he is to accommodate you or I. And our actions have consequences. Our actions have consequences. And forgiven people go to heaven, not good people. The thing is, though, the good news is that God opened up a door of forgiveness for you and for me. But it cost the blood of his son. Like, he, he, or, he, you are so important to him that he oriented his plans around you and that he sacrificed on your behalf. Romans 6.23, it says the, the wages of sin is death. The consequences of our sin, our negative actions towards God and towards other people, the consequences is, is death. But Jesus actually took that in our place. And, and that's how I know that you have immeasurable value to him. I can, I can say it confidently that you have value to God, that you are important to him because the cross says so, right? And I, I, I'm, I'm pressing into this because I know a lot of us probably struggle to feel valuable. You probably struggle to believe, some of you, that God actually sees you and that you're important to him. And I just want to like convince you once and for all, the cross says that you are. And it's at the end of discussion, Isaiah 43, 3-4, it says, I am, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you and people in exchange for your life. This is God speaking to, to Israel in the Old Testament, but I, I believe his, his heart is the exact same towards you and me today. And what's he say? He says, you're precious in my eyes, and you're honored, and I love you. And he, he says, I give men in return for you. God actually gave his son in return for you. So you have value to him, and he loves you deeply. And you, you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But it's just, it's a fact. You matter deeply to him. And so I want to ask you, does he matter to you? Search your, search your soul. Like, does he matter to you? Do you value the person of God? He is so worthy of your love. He looks at you and says, you're worthy of my love, but, but guys, he is so worthy of our love. The, the sad thing is, though, I don't think that we believe that a lot of the time. We deep down believe that all kinds of other stuff is, is more worthy of our love than he is. And you know, like I said, the Bible, it's, it's, yes, it's a story about what happened, but it's also a story about what always happens. And our error as humans, and Israel's error in, in, the, in the Old Testament thousands of years ago, our, our tendency is to not love God, but to forget God and replace God. We forget him and we replace him. I'll show you. So right after the Shema, the, the very next verse Deuteronomy 6.10, this is what Moses says. He gives the Shema, and then he gives this warning to Israel. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he'd give you a land with great and splendid cities that you did not build, with houses full of every good thing that you did not fill, with wells that you did not dig, and with vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
you know, God was going to lead his people into this promised land, and he's going to bless them massively, give them all kinds of stuff that they didn't earn, they didn't deserve. But, but he knew, and Moses knew, that, that even though these people are going to be radically blessed by God, he are, he'd already led them out of slavery from Egypt, even though they're going to be so blessed by God, they have this tendency to forget him and replace him. And that's what people do, and we're, we're the same way. Like, we, it, it is crazy how blessed we are. Just the fact that you have a body that you live in, you didn't, you didn't choose to be created. Like, you're just here, and you, you, you have a body that's healthy enough to put you in this building this morning, and you're breathing clean air, and you, you got up, and you drank clean water, and, and a lot of you, pro- you probably have so many people that care about you. Like, we are so unfathomably blessed we didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. God has given us so much, but we forget him and we replace him. Just like Israel did in the Old Testament, uh, 900 years after the Shema, this prophet Jeremiah comes, and, and he's speaking to Israel in a, in a season of really bad forgetfulness where they've turned their back on God, they've gone after all these other gods, they've really failed, they've really messed up. And he, he speaks to them, and he's calling them out for this tendency they have to forget him and to replace him with other gods. And I'm just going to read you a couple of scriptures from, from Jeremiah, and I, I, want, I want us to just hear these and, and learn from them and, and kind of feel that same warning that Moses gave the people of Israel. Be careful lest you not forget the Lord. Here, here it is in Jeremiah 2. He says, as the thief is ashamed when he's caught, so the house of Israel is disgraced. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, and the prophets, they say to a tree, you're my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. He's referring to idolatry. You know, they'd make gods out of wood or stones, and they'd worship them. He goes on, he says, for they have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet in the time of trouble, they beg, rise up and save us. But where are your gods that you made for yourselves? Let them rise up in your time of trouble, and save you if they can. For your gods are as numerous as your cities, O Judah. God's mad. He's basically saying, you you forgot me and you replaced me. (laughs) You turned your back on me and not your face, and now you need help. Go get get help from these other gods that you've worshipped. He's upset with them because they forgot him and they replaced him. Here in the next chapter, Jeremiah 3, he says, Then I said, how, long to make you my, how I long to make you my sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of all the nations. I thought that you'd call me my father and never turn away from following me. But as a woman may betray her husband, so you have betrayed me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. A voice is heard on the barren heights, the children of Israel weeping and begging for mercy because they perverted their ways and they've forgotten their Lord. He's talking to his people. He says, you betrayed me. You perverted your ways. You forgot me. And I've been wrecked by reading Jeremiah. I've been in it the past few weeks. And it's like most of the chapters are just like this. I could probably read you 20 more scriptures that sound the exact same. And as I've been reading it, I've just been struck with this question. Like, how does this make God feel? How does it make God feel when, when people that he made in his image that he loves, that he values, that he looks at and says, you are so important to me, so important that I'm actually going to sacrifice greatly for you. How does it make him feel when people forget him and replace him with created stuff, with temporary stuff? 
it sucks. It's a, it's like a, it's been painful reading Jeremiah recently and just seeing this over and over again. But this is what, this is what human sin nature trends towards. This is like our natural tendency as people. It's just to forget him and to replace him. And I want to warn you against it like Moses did in, in Deuteronomy 6. But I don't just want to stay there. This is depressing. You're probably like, man, John, this like kind of sucks. You're, you're making me sad. The good news is that, that Jesus, he not only sacrificed and, and shed his blood to forgive you of your sin, but he actually paid for something for you. He actually gave his life so that you could have a new life. Yes, he dealt with your sin, but he also paid a high price to make you a new person. And many of you in this room have experienced that. I've experienced that. You're, you're living your way. You're doing things your way. You're running your own direction. You're the leader of your life. And then along comes Jesus, and you, you surrender your life to him. You make him king, and you become totally different. I'm just as I'm like looking out in this room, I'm like, okay, I, so many people I know you, and you were a completely different person. You met Jesus, and everything changed. That's what he does. He, he sacrificed to, to also give you a new life. John 3 says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5 says, in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And part of, yeah, Jesus, like in making you a new person, this new you that can be reborn, is absolutely capable of loving God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. If you're in Christ, the Shema is possible. It's actually possible. You can do it. Like, you can fully love him. You can be totally free from that human tendency to forget God and replace God. That doesn't have to be us anymore. It's exciting. And man, he is worthy of your love. I, I, could, I don't think there's anything else that I could say so confidently than this, that he is worthy of your love. It's crazy. Before I met Jesus, uh, when I was 18, I had all of these misconceptions. I thought God was, like, boring. <laughs> I thought, you know, if I'm, gonna, if I'm ever going to be a Christian, I'm just going to have to sacrifice fun. My life's going to suck. And God's, like, just, he, he's just a... Uh, a judge that wants me to follow these rules, and that's pretty much it. And I just, I don't really want to do that. That was my, that was my perception when I was 18. I've been, I'm 27 now. I've been following Jesus ever since I was 18. And, and what I've found year after year after year is, like, I, God is so much better than I thought he was, even a year ago. Like, he is so, I promise you, he's better than you think he is. Psalm 1611, I love this scripture. I feel like I use it when I preach all the time. It says, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand is pleasure forevermore. Fullness of joy is a thing that you can find in God's presence. We don't know what that, like, I, we experience fractions of joy. I feel like I'm a pretty joyful person, but I don't know what fullness of joy is like. But Psalm 1611 says that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand is pleasure forevermore. He is better than you think he is. This is the God who created beauty. This is the God who thought up this, the idea of relationships and marriage and dopamine in your brain. Like, God is amazing. He's beautiful and he loves you. I can confidently say I've, I've had great moments in my life. I'm married. I have an amazing wife. I have a good family. I've 
gotten to see cool places in the world. I've gotten to do a lot of awesome stuff. But without doubt, confidently, I can say that the best moments of my life have been moments in God's presence. It's been moments when I'm just with him, close to him, experiencing him. Take my word for it. He can and will satisfy you in ways that nothing else is able to. Because, one, he's eternal. (laughs) He's eternally satisfying. But he's just, he's better. He's better. And and if if you don't believe me, I'd I'd encourage you to just try. (laughs) Try to live life just believing and expecting that God's actually a lot better than you think he is. The the happiest, most purpose-filled people that I know in my life are the people that love Jesus the most. The people that that I look at their life and I see the Shema. Yeah, man, they they love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. So what what does that look like? God's worthy of your love, but what, what does it actually look like to live a life of love towards God? I wanna I wanna get into a couple practicals. Really, there's only one. I have four. I could get away with just one. Because uh, truth be told, re- loving God really truthfully looks it looks like one thing. Jesus gets into this, John 14. He says it three times. He says the same idea three times in one chapter. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. My commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he says it again in John 14. Then he says it twice in John 15. Loving God, what that looks like practically, loving God means, it means obeying him. Remember that. Loving God means obeying him. To love him means to obey him. John 14, it doesn't say, if you love me, then you'll keep the commands that you're cool with. That's not what it says. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You know, I meet a lot of people that are like down with most of what Jesus says. <laughs> but not all of it. Like, yeah, yeah, lo- love your neighbor. That's awesome. Yeah, Jesus is great. Love your neighbor. That's good. Forgive people. That's good. Forgiveness is important. Turn the other cheek. That sounds nice. Don't look at a woman with lust. Don't live in sexual morality. Does that mean, like, I'm not supposed to have sex with my girlfriend till we're married? I, I'm not cool with that. I don't, want, I don't like that part of what Jesus says. I don't want to obey that. But guys, that, that is not how it works. <laughs> Jesus is not a la carte. It's not like you can just take some of what he says that you like and leave the other stuff that's challenging or uncomfortable. We don't get to pick and choose the parts of God that we like. And I want to I challenge some of you. If you worship a God that agrees with every element of your lifestyle, if you worship a God that never challenges you, that never convicts you about something that you've done, and you're like, oh, crap, I shouldn't have done that. If that's the God that you worship, then you've done exactly what Israel did. You've crafted your own God. But it's not the one true living God. God is unchanging. And if we want to love him, it means obey, obeying him. We are the ones that must change. But I, I, I kind of, something I see in our culture, it's like, almost like people f- think, you know, God's got God's to adapt with the times we're living in, you know. Like the, the, the Bible, that's an old book. It's outdated. We need to cut the hard pages that are challenging. We need to just ignore those and, and look at the stuff that everyone can get on board with. God needs to, you know, keep up with the times. But that's not who God is. He's unchanging. He's the one who made time. 
We need to adapt to him. And loving him means obeying him. It means obeying the stuff that's really, really hard. There's things I read in scripture where I'm like, dang, I I wish this was different. But it's comforting to me because it makes sense, right? Like if you worship a God that agrees with everything you agree with, you've just made your own God, right? Makes sense. Jesus, uh, when, when, when it comes to following Jesus, this is what he says in Mark 8, 34. I love this scripture. It says, Jesus called the crowd to himself along with his disciples, and he told them, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself. You want to come after Jesus? Step one, deny yourself. It's not about you anymore. You don't get to write the rules anymore. You don't get to be the the highest moral authority in your life anymore. Someone else is. You're giving that spot to another. So step one is deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. I think what a lot of us do is we want to ask Jesus to follow us. (laughs) We're we're the one going where we want to go. Jesus, come on. You're important. I I want you to still be in the picture, but you follow me. That's not how it works. We're the ones that are supposed to follow him. And guys, he is a good leader. Loving God means obeying him and submitting to him. If you don't believe he's good, then that's terrifying. Like, that sucks. But he's good. He's actually good, and he knows what's best for us. We think that we know what's best for us, and we absolutely do not. We don't. God loves us. Yeah, he has our best interest in mind. And I, just speaking from experience, my life, like, yes, God's asked me to do some things that I don't understand. God has challenged me in ways where in, in the moment I'm really uncomfortable with it, but I've found that when I just obey him and I trust him at his word and I go for it, it, it makes so much sense afterwards. He's good. In the way that he wants to lead us, it's for our good. And what I'm, what I'm saying, I want to clarify something with this loving God means obeying him. I'm not saying that, like, if you fail, God's done with you. That if you make a mistake, if you, if you don't submit to him for a day and you, you mess up, that, that he's just like, oh, well, I'm done with you. That's, that's not how God works. He's full of grace and patience, and he loves you. But his grace is meant to transform you into a person that loves him and strives to obey him, even when it doesn't make total sense to you. And I just, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time with this point because I, I think that some of you need to hear this, and I, I think our culture needs to hear this. That I think so often people, we try to just get away with stuff. We try to morally justify our sin. We try to convince ourselves that God's cool with X, Y, and Z, and we don't, we don't get to do that. We don't get to determine who God is. His, his name is I Am. It's literally one of his, his names. He says that in the Old Testament. I am, who are you? I am. He just is, and he always has been, (laughs) and he's unchanging, and we don't get to to change him. We don't get to determine who he is or what he's like or what he's cool with or what he's not cool with. So loving him means it means obeying him. I have three more, and these other practicals, like, pretty much they're all summed up in that first one, Um, but they're still helpful, so I'm going to get into it. Next one, loving God looks like loving people who are made in his image. Matthew 22, Jesus groups these together. He actually says, he gives, he gives the Shema. He says, love God. What's the most important command? Love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
One of, the, one of the primary ways that we love God is by loving people that he made in his image. Loving the, the creation, the people that he made, that, that he values. Right? God loves people, and so when we don't, that's kind of a slap in the face to him. It's almost like, you know, my, my wife, Ashley, it's like if, if you come up to her and, like, cuss her out or something, you hurt her badly, you're also like, a, you're not loving me well in that because I value her. She's important to me. And so when you hurt her, it's like it's hurting me. And I think it's the same with God. Like when we love people well, we're loving God well. When we don't love people well, we're not loving God well. It's simple. It's a simple point. But loving God looks like loving people who are made in his image. Next one, I hear this with um, like parents and kids. I feel like I've heard this before, that, that love is spelled T-I-M-E, Right? You, you, you spend time with the people that you love. It's the same with God. I think an extremely practical way to love him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength is to just be with him. And I, I've said this before in a sermon. If it rubs you the wrong way, sorry. It, it means it probably should. If you or I, if we don't make time for him in our life, what we're telling him is that he isn't important to us right? That's what we're telling him. If, if, if we're making him like the last thing on our 50 thing to do list, we're telling him, God, like there's actually 50 things that are more important than you. That might hurt to hear, but it's true. If you don't make time for him, you're, te- you're, you're telling him that he's not important to you. If, if, if I do this with my wife, I keep using marriage examples because marriage is, it's, it is a metaphor of our relationship with God. Ephesians 4 talks about that. If, if I, like, just ignore Ashley for an entire day, and I'm just constantly, like, just doing other stuff, not looking at her, not talking to her, not wanting to be around her, like, what am I communicating with her? I'm communicating to her that, that she's not important to me that day. That sucks. That hurts for her, right? She's my wife. Like, we need to spend time together. It's the same with God. On the other hand, when we prioritize him, when we, when we put him first, like, we're showing him that we value him. We're showing him, like, God, you're, I believe you're worthy of my love, so much so that I'm going to sacrifice my time for you because it's important. And you might, you might hear this and you're like, well, what, what is, you know, spending time with God? What does that look like? And there's tons of things I could give you, but, but one I'll say is Scripture, right? God has, has literally written us a massive book full of his words. If you're trying to talk to someone, and they ignore you, that kind of sucks, right? No one likes to be ignored. When we say, ah, I want to follow you, Jesus, I love you, but I am never going to open up your word, I'm never going to see what it says, I'm never going to write it on my heart and my mind, we're, we're kind of ignoring him. Like, it's like he's talking, but we're just clicking the mute button on his voice. And that's not cool, but Scripture, like, man, this is such a good way to spend time with God and to, to show him that we value him. It's by listening to what he says. Building a relationship with his word. Memorizing it. Next thing, just communication. Talking to him. Prayer, right? And when I say prayer, like, I'm sure some of you, what I'm not saying is having these, you know, things that you recite that are actually meaningless in your heart. I'm just talking about communication. Like, we can... We can, and I believe God wants us to do this, we can talk to him like, a, like he's our best friend. 
He is. Like he, we can talk to him like he's our best friend. We can be raw with God. Talk to him about our challenges, the things that are hard. And I think that when we do that, when we're real with him, when we trust him with hard things in our life, when we talk to him like we're talking to a friend, like we're loving him. Worship. Sometimes I, I, uh, I'll just go down to my basement and I'll just make up a song and sing it to Jesus for like 10 minutes. And it sounds kind of weird, but the biggest book in the Bible is a book full of worship songs <laughs> to Jesus. The book of Psalms. God loves worship. We see this all over Scripture. God loves to be worshipped. And so a way that you can spend time with Him is just by worshipping Him. Or listening. Just creating margin in your life. Setting aside distractions. Putting your phone on the other side of the room and just, just listening to Him. So loving God, what does that look like? It looks like spending time with Him. Next one. Loving God simply... I feel like part of what loving God looks like, it's just living a righteous, faithful life, free of compromise. Back to the marriage analogy, right? I love my wife, so I'm faithful to her. I'm not texting other girls. I'm not flirting with people. Like, I'm not doing any of that. I'm, I'm, I, I want to honor her with the way that I just, with the, with the way that I live my life. I think that when we do that with God, when we just live and, and pursue just a righteous life, when we're not trying to get away with a bunch of sin, when we're just like striving for righteousness and faithfulness to him, he's, he, I, I believe that he is so loved by that. We're called his bride, right? We're called to be his bride, the bride of Jesus. So a way to love him is, is by being faithful to him. My prayer, really, just for our church, is that, that we'd be a people that love him with everything that we are. And love, it, it requires discipline. It requires intentionality. It's not easy sometimes. It's not a thing that you will just drift into. You will not drift into a deep love for God. It doesn't work that way. It takes discipline, intentionality. In fact, I think if, if we're going to drift towards anything, we're going to drift away from a deep love for God. Even if you're in church, even if you know 50 Bible verses, even if you read Scripture, like, our tendency is still, it's to drift away from Him. Living in that new nature I was talking about, it takes effort. It takes, it takes discipline. The church of Ephesus in, in the book of Revelation, um, Jesus, he, he's speaking through John to a bunch of different churches in modern-day Turkey, and he, he speaks to the church in Ephesus this is like the, the same church that, that was planted in the book of Acts. If you were here in the summer, we talked about that. This is the same church that Paul wrote the letter of the Ephesians to. And here in Revelation, Jesus is speaking to this church through the hand of John. And he says this in Revelation 2, 4, I have this against you. You abandoned the love you had at first. This church was in danger because they, they lost the point. They missed the point. They started to forget about the most important thing above everything, the Shema. They forgot that, that loving him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and strength, that's what it's all about. That's the only thing that matters. When it all comes down to it, that's it. And they, they I'm guessing, accidentally abandoned the love that they had at first. And I don't want us to do that. I want us to be a people that are, that are faithful to the end. I think one of the reasons, there's probably many, but one of the reasons we 
have this tendency to drift away from loving God is that there are, are forces actively working to quench your love for God. Ephesians 6.12, this is the NLT version. I like the way that this version reads. It says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's saying we're in a battle. If you, if you uh, weren't here with us in the spring, we did this series called Kingdom Culture where we spent the entire semester, I encourage you to go back and listen to it, it was so good, just exploring all the different ways that, that the kingdom of, of Jesus and, and this world that we're living in are in conflict with each other. There's actually two kingdoms, right? And there's a battle. There's a battle between Jesus' kingdom and this world, the kingdom of this world. And these, these kingdoms look so different. And, and the kingdom of this world... Is, is trying to influence you away from a deep love for Jesus. That's what it's trying to do. Matthew 24, Jesus is uh, speaking to his disciples, and I believe he's, what he's saying is relevant to us today. Uh, he's, he's speaking to them about the end times, about um, the state of the world before he comes back. And, and this is what he says. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. They'll put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. What Jesus is warning against is, is this, this fact that a lot of people are going to fall away from him. And he gives a bunch of different reasons why. Persecution and, and false teachers and, and then lawlessness. He says lawlessness will be increased. And what's going to happen? The love, the love of many will grow cold. You won't follow Jesus to the end apart from love. Love is the one thing that keeps the flame in your heart burning for Jesus. It's love. And people, people fall away from all the time. I know, I know so many people that I walked with. Like, they just they seem like they love Jesus, seem like they were solid. And whether it's sin or, or persecution or just confusion and, and whatever, they deconstruct their faith and they walk away from him. And I can confidently say, you will not follow him to the end without love. Love is the thing that will keep the flame in your heart burning for him. I heard a pastor say this recently in a sermon. He said, we don't win when we convert our life to Jesus. We win when we follow him to the end. And in my prayer, my hope is that this is a room full of people that follow him to the end. And that thrive through this life. We thrive in our relationship with him because we just love him. And it's as simple as that. There's one thing, when it all comes down to it, there's one thing that matters. Do you love him? With your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And so I, I realize maybe there's people in this room, you're like, dude, I don't even know. I, I, don't, I don't even have a relationship with, with him. I'd encourage you. Like, he loves you. So much so that he sacrificed for you. And he, he offers you forgiveness. He's opened up this door of forgiveness and he's paid for you to have a new life. And it's just a decision, right? Jesus said, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. What, it, what does that start with? It just starts with a decision. 
And so if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, today's the day. It's as simple as a decision, right? We're going to have worship and there's going to be people uh, on the prayer team and, and go up to them and talk to them. If you want to, if you're like, man, I, I hear this and I, I don't love God at all. I don't even have a relationship with him and I think that's something I need. Respond. This is, imp- like, this is important. There is nothing more important. The implication is eternity, right? Maybe some of you are in this room and you're, you, are, you are a Christian. You love Jesus, but you're like, man, my, I feel like my love has grown cold. I feel like my heart is just kind of disconnected from him. And truth be told, I don't feel like I love him with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. My encouragement would be to just tell him that. Be real with him. You know, and it just it's speaking back into the marriage thing, if, if it's been a rough week, you know, bad, rough week of marriage, like things aren't going well, the conflict, whatever, I haven't been loving my wife well, the, be- the best way to restore that is just coming and being like, hey, Ashley, I, I, I've not been loving you well, and I'm sorry, I want to. Just marriage tip. That is, a very, that is the best way to, <laughs> to, to resolve a challenging, you know, season or day or hour in your marriage. And it's the same with Jesus. If you haven't been loving him well, just tell him. Just tell him. Draw near to him and be like, God, I, I'm not loving you well and I don't know why, but just help me, please. I know that this is, this is what I was made for. I know that I, I need to love you, that that's the whole point of everything. And, and what a good prayer to pray. Man, I think that he'd be so fired up if he heard that from some of us this morning. I'm going to pray for us. Worship team, you can uh, come back up. God, we are sorry that we have absolutely fallen into that trap of forgetting you and replacing you in our life. You don't deserve that. You don't. You made us. You gave us life. You you sacrificed everything for us. You bled for us on the cross. You, you do not deserve to be forgotten by us or replaced. You deserve the first place in every one of our lives. You are amazing. You are amazing. And we just, we just want you to know, Father, that as, as a church, like, we think that you are amazing and you are worthy and, wor- and worthy of our worship, worthy of our affection, worthy of our love. And so, Father, I just pray that you would, you would imprint that truth on our heart in a way that we cannot forget and that we would be a church and that we'd be individual people that, that faithfully love you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and, this, and our strength for the rest of our life. I'm sure, we'll, I'm sure we'll mess up, but God, that's what we want. We want to be a people that love you. You're so good. Thank you. In Jesus' name.